You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. We're all delighted to have you gathered here. I know that more people are going to be coming in. Bishop, come on up and have a seat, if you would. Um, Bishop Juan Zumbas, who is from the Bukuru Diocese in Nigeria. Delighted to have you. Have a seat. Thank you. And... um, as folks come in, that, that's fine. Uh, there'll be some traffic, but, but people will get settled in in a minute. Uh, but before we have a conversation with the bishop, let's pray. Uh, Lord, we thank you that your arm is never too short to save. And your word goes out and it accomplishes that for which it's purposed. And so, Lord, that we would understand um, that you are in control of things. And Lord, help us to be faithful Uh, in the midst of whatever may come our way, uh, knowing uh, that the call in our lives is to be faithful and not successful. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Bishop, tell us how you became a Christian. Well, my parents weren't Christians. But we had the privilege of having people who um, had a touch with the church, coming to walk in the village where I was born. And as a very little child, I began following their children to church. Um, since then, I never stopped going to church. At a point in the course of my life, I decided to be baptized. That was 1978. I chose to identify with Christ by way of baptism. I was baptized, and I became um, a communicant member of the church. And since then, that's been my life. It's, it's, it's just moved from there. So in 1978, you gave your life over to the Lord Jesus. And at what point did you uh, commit yourself to full-time gospel ministry, to go off to study and to be ordained? By 1981, the Lord called me into full-time ministry, but I wouldn't just answer the call. <laughs> I ran away like a Jonah. Um, but eventually by 1994, again, the call came, and I turned in my life to Christ in full-time service. Since then, I have been at the church ministry, um, ordained, and then eventually being elected a bishop. Mm-hmm. Where am I today? And, and have you always served in that area of Nigeria? Yes, I've always served in Plateau State. That is where I was born and raised. That has been um, the area of my service all along. I've never been anywhere outside there. And tell us where Plateau State is. Plateau State, don't know. Plateau State in the central, is in the central part of Nigeria. Uh, you move south about... Nine hours, then you get to Jos, where I come from. You move north about nine hours again, and you get to Jos. Mm. You know, so we're in the central part of Nigeria. You're in the central part of Nigeria, and we know that there's been a lot of persecution of Christians in the north, with Boko Haram and, and elsewhere. And I even read that uh, a wife of a bishop was kidnapped uh, last week yeah. in, in Nigeria. What is, it, what is it like in where you are in central Nigeria? Yeah, the central part of Nigeria is um, predominantly a Christian um, 
settlement. And persecution has visited us for about 20 years now. It all began in the far northeastern part of Nigeria, where just overnight the Muslims, you know, from that side of Nigeria, woke up and said to every Christian to leave, that all Christian living in that region must leave. If they didn't leave, they were going to be killed. And they made their threat. Anyone who didn't leave was killed indeed. And so there was mass, very massive movement of Christians from the northeastern region down to the central part of Nigeria. And those who came from the north, I mean the southeastern part of Nigeria, went back to their states of origin. Because in Nigeria, wherever you go, you still retain your state of origin. If you are from Plato State, you don't ever change if you go to Lagos. I'm from Virginia. I understand that. All right. So, um, so, so that's the situation. I mean, so the people who were not originally indigenous to those areas left. They fled those areas and went back to their original uh, states of, of origin. So they went back. Uh, but how, does that, how has that affected the church of Nigeria? Uh, the, the, it seems that in the midst of persecution, God has blessed the church of Nigeria, and rather than shrink away, uh, it, is, it has grown and become more faithful. That's true. The church has come under very serious threat. Persecution has really, you know, um, battered the church so badly that at a point it was like um, the shepherd has been stricken and the sheep is scattered all over the place. Uh, because the people were just running helter-skelter, like a people without direction. A good number became refugee in various areas of the country. Um, but the church of Nigeria is resolved to live for Christ in spite of all of that. Persecution is like a daily thing we face since 2010 until death. Christians are being persecuted in Nigeria on a daily basis. From the area where I came or where I come, um, between 2016 or 2013 and 2016, on a weekly basis, not less than 30 Christians were killed every week just because of their faith. Not because of any crime they've committed, but because they believe in Jesus Christ and someone who has an ideology that thinks is, I mean, he's a superior to Christianity comes in with that ideology and wants to dominate the people. Yeah. I mean, so the faith of the Christian has grown in the midst of, in the thick and thin of those crises. People have still, you know, stood very firm for Christ. I mean, because there is no alternative as far as we are concerned. Right. Where do we go? Should we go to Islam or should we go back to the religion of our ancestors? Mm. And so it's a decision between life now and life eternal or hell after now. Mm. So we choose to remain with Christ in spite of all that is befalling us today. Amen. And how is, you said since 2010 when the persecution became more intense, how did your ministry change? Uh, did, did your preaching change? Uh, did your attitudes change? Did what, how you shepherded people change? Did anything change about what you were doing? Well, certainly everything changed because there was massive you know, movement of people. There was a drop in the congregation. The population of the congregation dropped so sharply. Um, 
by 20, um, 2008, we were 10,000 people in my diocese. The congregation was 10,000. But by the peak of the crisis, the congregation dropped to 5,000 so cut in members. Half. half. By half. In fact, my cathedral that used to be a 1,000 people dropped to 150 people in church every Sunday. Now, you know, you now notice that people are afraid. They are, their lives are threatened. And coming to church had no guarantee of anybody going back home safe, right. including even the pastors. In fact, the pastors were the most hunted people. If you wore your collar and you were noticed on any street at all, you were as, you were as good as dead on such a street. So it also changed the way we dress because, you know, you wouldn't advertise yourself for the killer. You have to remain a Christian but not someone who would just go in a dress to just sell yourself out. Now, we had to preach peace to the people. We had to preach encouragement to them. We had to preach courage to them. We had to preach in such a manner that they remain hopeful in spite of what is, you know, what is befalling them. They must remain true to the gospel because at the end of it all, whether we die by the sword or die by AK-47 or die naturally, all of us, if we die, believers, we go to heaven. So, I mean, it's not when you die, but really, when you die, did you die in Christ? If you die in Christ, whether naturally, whether by the sword, or by the bullets of any gun at all, if you die in Christ, you have eternal life guaranteed. But if for any reason you give up on Christ and you die, you know that you have died without Christ and there's no life eternal for you. So we encourage the people, you know, to push on, you know, for Christ. Their faith must remain stable. They must remain steady as Christians. Nothing should wither them. Yes, suffering is there, but suffering must not, we must not suffer twice. Yes, we can suffer persecution here, give up on Christ, and then suffer eternally. Because when you give up on Christ and you are no more, yes. you suffer eternally. Yes, he, uh, oh, yeah, I think okay. that there's, is Mike Weeks still here? Oh, there's Craig Smalley, who's probably the least capable of all of us. Just kidding, Craig. Uh, Gil's, Gil's on it. Um, uh, the bishop is talking about how uh, in, um, uh, when the persecution really came, his own diocese, which had 10,000 people on a Sunday, was shrunk down to 5,000. And even at the cathedral, which normally had about 1,000 people on a Sunday, 150 people were coming. And that was because they were targeting Christians and coming to church was a dangerous thing. Uh, and even uh, pastors wearing collars were calling attention to themselves in such a way that that, that meant that they actually would be singled out. And the bishop, was, I asked him about whether or not that changed his ministry, and he was saying, uh, well, of course it did. <laughs> um, it, it, it made you realize what was really the most important thing uh, to, um, to die is to gain and to really be uh, a faithful, uh, are you looking for that handheld? Yeah. David Tanner has it. He always, no, I don't know, it's just sort of buzzy. Let's try that. Bishop, would you mind holding that? Just there's, I think there's... It's okay. Um, so, um, 
Bishop, what would you say then uh, in light of all of that? I read a quote a little while ago that said that there's a great difference between Christians who decide whether they're going to go to a soccer game or church on Sunday mornings and those who may be putting their lives in risk, at risk by going to church on Sundays. And here in the United States, we just think of, uh, I doubt any of us came to the Advent this morning thinking, this may be the last time I go to my church, that, that uh, I may be with the church triumphant this afternoon. So what would you say to, to those of us who are in a place where there is far less persecution than what you're experiencing? What I would say to you here is um, the fact that, yes, security is good. Comfort is good. You know, I mean, abundance of what we need to keep us, you know, it's good. They're all God-given, and we must enjoy them thoroughly. But we must never enjoy them at the expense of our life and life eternal, specifically. We must also remember that while we enjoy security, there are those out there who are as vulnerable as just anything. That every day their life is sought after. Somebody wants to kill them. Not because they've committed any crime, but simply because of their belief in the person of Jesus Christ. And so, um, persecution for us out there, and then comfort for you here. I mean, are not anything that should severe our relationship with Christ, but they have a tendency to do that. Mm. Persecution does have the tendency to severe relationship with Christ Jesus. Because you could wonder, you know, you may, you may be said wondering, where is this Jesus Christ? Why should we be suffering? Why is he not intervening? Right? And then you could give up on your faith as a result of that. Right, so also, someone who is too comfortable has a very good potential of forgetting the fact that the Lord has brought all of those around them. And so, our comfort in the U.S. and in the West should not severe our relationship with God in any way. Jesus Christ must remain the Lord of our lives every day. Most importantly is the fact that the man who is suffering is someone who needs help. And the help will come from those who are in the position to help. Help will never come from elsewhere. If we are each other's keeper, if we are Christians, and our journey from earth to heaven will end up all at the feet of Jesus Christ, then it will be good for us to guarantee that not just a portion of the church goes to that feet of Christ, but that all of us walk there at the end of the day. So we must walk as brothers and sisters, people who belong together. Stuart, did, was that, is this microphone better? Yeah, much better. Sorry about that, Bishop. So understanding um, the pitfalls of uh, under intense persecution, uh, those who uh, are weak in their faith tend to fall away. And those of us here in the West that are comfortable uh, tend to forget what it means to be faithful and it can so easily slip into accommodating the culture because in persecution, it's very clear, I'm a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're a militant Muslim, and the only answer is if I'm going to be faithful is for me to be eradicated, to be killed. Where it seems in the West that 
instead of standing against the predominating culture, the church has a tendency to capitulate and start to look like the culture around it. And so it's very hard to actually discern what is Christian and what is not. And, and what, what are your thoughts on that as someone who lives in Nigeria seeing what's happening to the church in the West, accommodating culture? Well, I mean, um, for us in Nigeria, Christianity came, Christianity came to us from the West. The British brought Christianity to Nigeria. The Bedmans, the Coombs, the Maxwells, the Millers, the Fox Brothers, those were the people that brought Christianity to Nigeria. And if Christianity is being weakened in the West, if the West is becoming nonchalant towards the same gospel they brought to us, then that is a very serious problem because it has the potential to discourage us. This thing you brought to us, what has gone wrong with it? Why are you beginning to abandon it? If you are the model, if you are the father, and you've so modeled your life to your children, and suddenly the children see you going a different direction, what do you think will happen to those children? It will affect them. But the good news for you here is the fact that Nigeria, the Church of Nigeria has stood its ground. We are firm. In spite of what the West is, you know, is painting today, it's looking like today. You know, when by 2008, Gene Robinson openly declared his, you know, gay um, status and was consecrated bishop, the Church of Nigeria took a position and the position it still stands on today that we will not go with the West for that choice. We are not going to go with the West. Now, so if the Bible says that marriage has to be between a man and a woman, what suddenly has happened that a man can marry a man and a woman can marry a woman? What has happened so suddenly? So the Church of Nigeria took a position and champion it, and is still championing it today, that we will go by every tenant of the Bible. Nothing less, nothing more. It's either the Bible or not. That's the guide to our life. We believe in the Bible, we believe in the 39 articles of religion, and we go by those. Nothing will shift our ground for now. We are as firm and as conservative as I understand this church is. And I pray that you remain ever conservative in Jesus' name. Well, Bishop, I, <laughs> I'm just trying to think of how exhausting it must be because in your own context, you have a militant form of Islam that is kidnapping and uh, you know, young, young Christian women who, if they don't renounce their faith, they're sold into slavery are forced to become wives, uh, you have people being killed, and that's an everyday reality for many Christians in Rwanda, I'm sorry, excuse me, Nigeria, but you also are dealing with the influence of the West, and does it feel like you're surrounded? Does it feel like uh, that you're, you're, 
you're fighting uh, a battle, which is the battle of faithfulness, on so many different fronts. How does ministry happen? Yes. Um, uh, the truth is that when the ways should remain standing, it is compounding our problems mm. by what it does. Because the Muslims are, you know, they are like the Pharisees. I mean, they wouldn't want, they claim that they are the most righteous and most pious religious people around. And so when they hear an open declaration like the West dust, you know, of ways that are not biblical, that compounds our problem. It weakens us the more. Now, because they are fighting us because of this same faith, and, you know, Boko Haram, for example, which is um, one of the, uh, the, the Muslim militia groups in Nigeria, means Western education is forbidden. They are anti-Western education. So Boko Haram literally means Western education is forbidden. So anyone who is um, inclined to Western education, and they believe that Christians are pro-West. That is their belief, generally. That Christians, every Christian is pro-West. So they would want to attack us there and to make, if you, you know, if you are not sincerely representing the faith as you should, then that compounds our war. The fight becomes more complex. We're fighting Boko Haram. We're fighting Fulani militia. It's another set of Muslims who are the ones that have really battered, you know, where I come from. They are nomadic people. They go about, you know, grazing their cows. And so when there is a clash between them and the farmers, they will, it will always end in killing the farmers. So they have sucked very massive part of my church particularly. You know, I mean, an area where we used to have six churches all gone. The people have been sucked from such a land. And so, if the West is not standing, if we are not standing together with the West on principles, biblical principles, <laughs> then the Muslim, you know, um, sees us not really um, being a people who are faithful in what we are saying, mm. not being true in what we are saying. I mean, they, they have, you know, um, more grounds to want to say what we are doing is not of God. Mm. So, we have physical warfare. We also have spiritual welfare to contend with in that matter. Yeah, I don't want that point to be lost, uh, Bishop, that when the church in the West is unfaithful, that has consequences for our brothers and sisters in Nigeria. Because the Muslim militant groups will say, see, this is what Christians believe, and they identify you as the same kind of Christian. This is what Christians believe. Now this is what Christians are advocating in the West. <laughs> are you there? Now, it's what, this is the belief of Christianity. You know what? I want to assure you that Christians in Nigeria have never mobilized themselves to go and fight Muslims. Not even once. <laughs> they have always mobilized themselves to attack the Christians in Nigeria. Hmm. All the time. We are their, principal, their problem principally just because of the faith. They still believe in the fact that Christianity is a religious of 
honesty, sincerity, a religion of integrity. They still look to Christians for models. Those of them who are very honest will come to you seeking advice from you. Because they know that you will tell them the truth. Nothing but the truth. Absolutely nothing but the truth. So it's important that the West must not water the gospel in any way. We must turn for the gospel. We believe in you. I believe personally that there are wonderful Christians in the West. Wonderful Christians in America. Great people. Models of Christianity here. I believe that. But I also want to tell you, friends, that we have seen very terrible and bad examples coming from the West. And I tell you, it catches our young people like wildfire. Once they see any ugly thing from the West, they think it's the in thing, and they go for it. They watch on television, the social media is all over the place, you know, I mean, the mobile phone, you know, they carry things all over the place and they watch what happens in the West there and they copy those and think they are the in thing today. Bishop, would you also include, the, I, I know that, um, that the prosperity gospel is starting to make inroads into Nigeria. I don't want to say it's just starting. It's been there. It's been there for years. The prosperity gospel has been there in Nigeria for many years, my brother. It's been there. It's, it, is, um, it is one, you know, a force that the mainline denominations in Nigeria are contending with today. Yeah, because, I mean, a gospel where, you know, I mean, you don't seem to encourage people to work hard to earn whatever they will get. But you prophesy to them and it will come to pass. That is not true. People need to work hard to earn money. They need to work hard to acquire whatever need they need to acquire. It is about hard work. Then gains will come at the end of the day. But when you brainwash the people and tell them stories that are not true, give them the gospel that is false, at the end of the day, a good number of them get frustrated. In fact, so many, you know, are always, I mean, the church congregation in Nigeria is so highly mobile today. Those who have been in the mainline churches, and who have drifted to those um, prosperity shrines would be there for quite some time, get tired, and then go back to their original churches. That's what's happening today. Because it, they realize it's false. Yes, they have gotten to the point that there's no truth in what these people are saying. They're not rich. They, they are not. <laughs> you know, the promises of a new house, it, it can't, it's not magical, right? You promise someone that will, there are miracles on the way. Tomorrow you will have a new car. Tomorrow you will have a new house, you know, new everything. I mean, and then it's not coming. People seeing falsehood in what they're doing, false teaching, and are beginning to come to their senses and moving back to it. Well, that's a real testimony of, of, of a people being grounded in the truth. And, and I think that that's one of the things that, that many of us pray for, especially if we have children here in the West who have grown up in, in a, in a gospel-oriented church who may have drifted away uh, knowing that eventually they'll look at the pig's pods and say, I need to go home. I need to go home. Uh, just to give you some perspective on the church uh, of Nigeria, there are more Anglicans in church on Sunday in Nigeria than there are Anglicans in church on Sunday in continental Europe, 
England, Scotland, Wales, Ireland, Canada, America, Australia, and New Zealand combined. That's true. There are 20 million Anglicans in Nigeria. 20, 20 million. 20 million. And they go to church. They go to church. Jeez. <laughs> they go to church. And the majority. Yeah. Uh, maybe some may not go. I mean, but majority and go. Yeah, and there in the United States, uh, in the Episcopal Church anyway, there are just about uh, 800,000 people who go to church on Sundays that are in the Episcopal Church. That is... That is just remarkable to me, and yet we have such a loud mega. We have a, a much louder microphone um, than than you. Well, tell us how we can pray for you, and how we can we how we can support you, and uh, and and what you would say to us as we uh, part ways and you head back home. Well, um, dear brothers and sisters here seated today, uh, I'd like to say that. The gospel, it must move on. It's a synergy. No one does it alone and think you can do it all. For example, the dean preaches, right? Most of the time. That's what you do. <laughs> okay? It's possible that there's someone here that prays. It's also possible that there's someone here that sponsors lots of things here in this church programs, you know, needs of every kind here. Um, the gospel requires that we are mobile a lot. Uh, God is not impressed that I seek to keep my life. Those, if someone didn't risk going to Nigeria, I may never have been a Christian. Not at all. And risk-taking is continuous. Every time you take a step, you are risking something. Just a step. Because one could fall and that may be the end. I mean, so, what I'm saying in effect is the fact that we may continue to go. In spite of, you know, the uncertainty of the location where God is asking us to go. The persecution is there in Nigeria. But I tell you that there are still Westerners who come to Nigeria. I mean, Larry was in Nigeria. Larry came to see me in the thick of the persecution in Nigeria. The year he came was the year that over 200 people were killed within my diocese. Over 200 people were killed within that diocese when he came, the year he came. And I'd like to say that, yes, Larry risked it. Someone funded it, and his family sacrificed him. And that's what it will always take. Somebody will be the risk taker. Someone will be the behind the scenes doing the prayer, and another person will be the one with the funds to sponsor the trips for the gospel. And so it takes all of us participating. You can pray for me because it's our desire that we live in peace with everyone around us. So we need peace in Nigeria. Pray that we will be in the position to overcome 
the persecution that we've been going through and are still going through. Because this persecution is not just the physical, you know, assault on human beings. There are subtle and secret persecutions ongoing where Christians are not employed, where Christians in government employment are not promoted, you know, where Christians, the existence of Christians in particular regions of Nigeria is denied completely. We have Christians in every state in Nigeria who are indigenous to those places, but where the Muslims are in majority, which we love them. They, some of them are our friends. We still are friends with some of them. But some of them are so wild you wouldn't want to meet them. The side of them scares you straight away. Makes you really feel uncomfortable. If you happen to be in a vehicle that is dominated by them, you are not at ease at all. Because you don't know what will happen to you. And so pray for us that there will be peace. Pray for us that we will continue to keep the faith in spite of the difficulties we are going through. Pray for us that the Bible will not in any way be written for the sake of our comfort. That the truth of the Bible remains the truth of the Bible and undiluted, never, you know, um, tempered with in any way because of the situation in which we are passing through. I want to pray for us that there may be stability in governance in Nigeria. Pray that corruption, you know, there's a lot of banditry, kidnapping and all of that going, in fact, raping and all of that going on there. Let's pray that God will help us overcome all of those predicaments. Pray for us. That's our prayer. Well, I hope that you'll take what the bishop has said this morning and commit it to prayer, uh, not just today, uh, but uh, ongoing uh, for the brothers and sisters who are standing firm in the faith uh, there and that we would pray uh, for ways here at the Advent in which um, whatever part God has for us to play in his story in this world, uh, but uh, to have the courage to go and, and to take those risks. I mean, I'm reminded of Hudson Taylor, the great missionary to China from England, really one of the first to go there. And um, everyone tried to talk him out of going. And he would, through tears, say, but if I don't go, who will? That was true. And God used him to turn the world uh, upside down there in China. God used CMS missionaries to bring the gospel uh, to Nigeria and, and elsewhere. And, uh, and, and it's not over. Uh, it's not over. We still need gospel workers and certainly gospel partnerships uh, today. I, I hope that, uh, I know we've gone a little bit over, but certainly well worth it. Uh, but I hope that you'll have a chance to meet the bishop. I wonder if, um, if in Klingman Commons there, if you'd like to greet him and, and ask any questions that you might have, uh, please do. If you plan on going to one of the 11 o'clock services, uh, you'll, I'll give you a hall pass. Uh, and it will be okay if you come in late, uh, trust me. Bishop, I wonder if you will bless us as we leave. Yes, I want to thank you sincerely for listening to me this morning. I know that um, accent, as you call it, may have impeded a lot of understanding, you know, understanding a lot of what I have said this morning. But um, I tell Larry that if you say I have accent, you come to Nigeria, you have accent too. <laughs> Yeah, because when you speak, the people don't understand you. Why? Because of accent, <laughs> you know. 
I mean, so it's my privilege, I mean, it's my, my singular honor to be here, to be in your midst, and to have you listen to me. I pray that the Lord will continue to help us to hold on the flag of the gospel, Amen. that we will never lower it for any reason, no matter what befalls us, may we still hold on the flag. Shall we pray together? Thank you, Bishop. Mighty God and Father, we thank you that you are a God who has no boundary and a God who makes it possible for even human boundaries to be crossed because of the gospel. I want to thank you for the gift of brothers and sisters in the USA. I thank you, Lord, for the privilege to be in this church today. Thank you for the leadership of your servant who oversees this place. Thank you, Lord, for the active participation of the members of the congregation of this church. I pray, Father, that all of us will run the race and run it, Lord, having the crown of eternal life in view, so that by the day the race is over, we will declare like a Paul that we have run the race, we have kept the faith, and indeed we have fought a good fight. And what is left for us is to have that crown of eternal life, which you, Almighty God, will give to all, everyone, everyone who believes in you. I ask this because I know that it will keep us warm and we keep a relationship flowing between me and these people for the sake of the kingdom. This is our prayer. As I give each one of these people over to your care, in the name of God the Father, and of God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. God bless you, Bishop. Thank you, brother. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us for one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.